Welcome to the Mama Truth Show, where soulful mamas embrace the whole truth of the messiness and magic of motherhood. Check us out at mamatruthshow.com. Here's your host, Amy Ehlers, the wake-up call coach. Hello, mamas. It's Amy Ehlers here, and welcome to Mama Truth Monday. So um, I was just saying to my amazing guest, Erica, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, that I'm feeling nervous about the show today um, because as a white woman who um, understands somewhat about white privilege and has been crying a lot over the events that have unfolded in the last few weeks and really have always been there, but a lot of light is being shed on them, um, I really felt inspired to stand up and be courageous and fight against all of my nervousness because I think it's so important for us in the white community to reach out to people in communities of color and let them know that we care deeply and that we are not okay with what has been going on with all of these senseless acts of violence that have been committed specifically and particularly lately um, with African-American men and boys and also with the police officers that were recently shot in Dallas. And of course, the shootings in Orlando with another group. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a crazy time. And so I really wanted to invite people into the Mama Truth Show um, community here to have honest conversations about race and honest conversations about what the heck is going on and how, as we, how we as moms and as human beings can really band together to be part of the solution for ourselves and for our children so that these patterns can really shift. And so I put out a call on Facebook and I honestly have been so overwhelmed by the generosity of response from so many different people offering, yeah, I'll come on the show and we can have an honest conversation about race. And Erica Gordon, who is my guest today, is one of those incredible, brave women. Thank you so much, Erica, for being here with me. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Amy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just want to let everyone know a little bit about Erica. So Erica is an MA, a CPC, and is a best-selling author, educator, and side business success strategist. She's also the CEO of Moms with Dreams University and host of the Moms with Dreams podcast. So make sure to look that up, Mama, Moms with Dreams. Erica teaches women how to pursue what they love in the midst of a busy life, motherhood, and a career. And she believes you can create anything you want in your life. Her mantra is reclaim your dream, do what you love, make a difference. And you can see why I'm already in love with her. <laughs> um, so her websites are ericagordonlive.com and momswithdreamsuniversity.com. And I will have also links up to her Facebook pages and all of that good stuff in the show notes. So again, Erica, thank you so much for being here on the Mama Truth Show. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure. I'm honored to be here and to be able to have this conversation with you. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, we were talking before we went live and I kind of said this a little bit at the beginning and I can still feel it. Like I feel nervous. <laughs> I think, you know, it's one of those things where I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's such a um, hot issue. You know, I live here in Oakland, California, which is a very, very, very diverse community in the San Francisco Bay area. And um, I know there's been, at one of my daughter's schools, there's been a lot of racial tension, and I learned so much about white privilege and a, a whole bunch of different topics. 
But what I thought that um, we could start with today is I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background and for you in your family with four children, what, how you've been feeling about what's been going on, especially with the recent shootings in Dallas and with, of course, um, the, all of these incredible black men that have lost their lives to the, in the hands of police officers. Yes, well, my background started off when I was actually a teen mom at 17, and I had my first son then, and just figured, I decided that I would not be a statistic. Like, I knew that it was going to be difficult, but I was I was determined to be more than a statistic, another young black girl on welfare, whatever, you know, all those things that people say. So I didn't grow up in the inner city. I grew up in the suburbs with, you know, two parents, just, you know, the nuclear family, the whole thing. And I always had a dream of doing something to help other people. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I just knew that it would be something where I was helping people. And then when I got pregnant, I realized that I wanted to encourage other women. Like at the time I was talking about teen moms, but as I grew, I realized that I wanted to help women just overcome things. And so I got married at a young age and got divorced. 14 years later. Mm. Um, so just a few years ago, I got divorced. And when I was going through that process, I realized that there were so many painful moments and I just couldn't figure out why I was going through all this. Like, what did I do to deserve this? Why am I being punished? Like what, you know, all these, all these things. And then I realized that it wasn't for me, it was for me to be able to go through those processes and then help other women to show them the way to give them hope, to you know, restore their faith and belief in themselves. And so that's basically how I got into the coaching business. I went back to school, got my master's degree while going through the separation and all that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I was just like, I don't know, I'm a maniac when it comes to school. That's why I have a university because <laughs> I'm so passionate about education. But um, so I went back to school, got my master's degree, and then I realized I didn't want to do counseling because it was a master's in psychology. Then I realized I really wanted to coach because I felt like counseling kind of kept you stuck where you mm -hmm. were focusing on the past and what you know brought you to where you are where coaching I felt was more progressive and I could help people make plans to create a better future to you know to move forward in their lives so that's how it all got started I created a, a meetup group it was called moms with dreams and we met once a month and we talked about issues that were relevant to mothers and women and our tr struggles and challenges and from then I just started coaching and it was it's been like great ever since I, I read it. You know, like you said, I'm an author. I've co-written some books and just loving it. Like, I love the fact that, you know, now I love it. And at the time when I was crying every day, I didn't love it. But right. now <laughs> <laughs> I love that there's purpose in our pain. And when we acknowledge that, we can really make a difference in other people's lives. And so throughout my marriage, I, like you said, I had children. I have three sons and a daughter. And so I really feel passionate about this. Like I've been watching the news and feeling, you know, sad and all that stuff. But it really struck me the other day when my oldest son told me that he feels he's afraid. Like he doesn't know if he's going to be next among the sea of names of men who've lost their lives senselessly and carelessly. And I've quietly had that fear or that concern as a mother, but I've never voiced it to them. Mm. And so... When he told me that, I, you know, we had a conversation and I sat my other two boys down, they're teenagers, and I talked to them as well. And I talked with my daughter 
And so I just feel like we need to really be aware of what, like our kids need to be aware, but they also need to feel safe. Like they don't, my one son felt like, well, mom, there's nothing I can do. And I talked to him about like, there are things that you can do. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that we can make it, we can make it better. Like you can't just say, this is how it is. Right. So that's why I'm really passionate about it. I have sons, I have nephews, I have cousins. I, I know people, you know, I have a lot of black men in my family, community, friends, and just men in general, like people, like, like we talked about before the show, police officers are losing their lives as well. And it's just, it's, it's really a sad situation. So I just want to shed light and awareness and encourage people that, you know, even though in the midst of what we're, what's going on, there's still hope. Well, I love, I, I love it. Thank you. First of all, for sharing your personal journey and your personal story and you said something that I think is really beautiful, and I know it's kind of a, a common um, belief in the coaching community, which you and I are both a part of, and that is that there is purpose in this pain. Mm-hmm. And so kind of looking at what has been unfolding and what has been highlighted, you know, I have a friend that said to me, it's just the same thing, but better cameras. So it's mm-hmm. like, this has been going on for so long, but now suddenly we have things like Facebook Live to right. capture what happened I'm in that car. And I I just was like, Oh my God, this is insane. I can't believe this, but we have this technology now so that, that people can actually understand and have that bird's eye view of what it is like and what has really been going on. So for you, like if you were to really say what you feel like the purpose is behind this pain that we're feeling as a country and specifically what the black community is feeling right now, What's the purpose that you really feel is there for us to lean into? Well, I think the purpose that I see most is, like you said, to to bring awareness to something that's been going on for a long time. Like yeah. it's something, this isn't brand new. Like your friend said, it's just now we have the technology to capture it. And and now it's it just seems like it's happening so so frequently that, and it's being captured so that we have now, we have data that shows this is something that is happening before it could have just been hearsay or it could have been his side against, you know, right. whatever he right. says, she say, yeah. Oh, that's not what happened. But when you're watching a video of someone, you know, the whole thing being played out in front of you, you can't deny that. Yeah. And so I think it's just time for reform. I think it's time for us to, as a country to revisit policies and procedures, like the way that these cops are being trained. I don't know if they're being trained to kill if it's a black man and trained to, detain or de-escalate if it's a non-black because that's what it seems like it seems like you know non-blacks don't get killed they get either maced or tased or roughed up or something and it's like why do we why is the first instinct to shoot us when you know we basically were just driving along this highway and had a, a, a headlight that was malfunctioning why is that why should that cost me my life right so i think that the purpose unfortunately through the pain is that it's time for change. Like this has been going on for way too long. Like I said in my post the other day, I, you know, I look, when I used to watch movies on slavery and back in the day during the civil rights movements and all those things, I used to say to myself, how is this okay? I wouldn't have made it during that time period because I'm like, there's no way that I would have gotten through that. And how is it okay for them to treat us that way? And then here we are in 2016. And I feel like I'm saying the same exact thing. Like they're getting away with treating us like animals, treating us like we're not human beings, like we don't matter, like we're just property that they can just, you know, get rid of. 
So I think that is part of the purpose through all of this. It's just time. It's time. Something has got to give. Yeah. Um, oh, it just breaks my heart so much to think that anybody, especially an entire community, could feel that way. It's mm-hmm. heart-wrenching to me. Um, and I know it's like, I think that, like you're saying, there's, um, and there's new, you know, policy and pro- policies and procedures being tested out in different areas. I know here in San Francisco, the police have recently um, are started trying with things like with beanbag guns and like all these different things. And there was recently, um, in the last couple of weeks here, there was an African-American man that actually had a gun and had it out. He was actually threatening to take his own life in the streets of San Francisco. And the cops were able to act- actually de-escalate this, the situation. They used the new procedures. They used the new things. They used a beanbag gun, gun on him to take him down. And he, you know, is alive today. And, mm-hmm. and then I know also in Vegas, I was reading some stuff about how they're starting to implement some new procedures. So I feel like there is some hope there um, for new procedures to come into play. And I think that in our institutions, we need that so strongly for these new procedures mm-hmm. and we need racial training. Like, I, I feel like, I, you know, obviously I haven't been through the police training academy. I don't know what exactly the training is. Right. I feel like as human beings, and I, and I learned so much about this within myself, I feel like there are people that are overt racists, right? There are people that are members of the Ku Klux Klan, like these people that are in this, like this crazy, like consciously racist people full of hate. There's those people in the world. And then there's people who on a subconscious level, they are not even aware of it. And this is what I think where the white privilege conversation comes into play because these are, these are things that as a white woman, like I didn't even, I didn't even know. I didn't, I've never even thought about like stupid things like, oh, if I, you know, if I go into a hotel room, the shampoo is, will work on my hair or like the, mm-hmm. the flesh colored tone on the band-aids matches my skin. Like things like that, that we don't even consciously realize are geared towards us that give us just a little bit of a leg up in the world, let alone that when the police show up, if I'm at a party or if I'm somewhere and the police show up, I feel safer as a white person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that necessarily is true in the black community. And, and I feel like there's, you know, these areas of subconscious racism, subconscious racial pro- profiling, that it, it becomes so much more complex for us to go down into those, to those levels. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because it's institutionalized. These are things that, like you said, you know, we've been born into. So just like we've been born into inferiority, there are plenty of whites who've been born into superiority. And they have that, like you said, the privileges that we I'll never know. Right. It doesn't matter how educated or intelligent I am, there's still going to be a division between you and I be, right. or you and me because of our race, you know, the, the yeah. different races. And I feel like we can make a difference if, if it starts now, like if we start to educate our children, because I feel like the children are the, our future. Yeah. And at some point they're going to be leading the country. So we have to change the way that we're presenting these issues to our kids. Like we have to let them know that, A, it's not okay for you to, because I've had incidences where my children have come home and said that they've been called niggers, like on the football field, by football players on opposite teams and, and I'm like, how is this okay? But nothing's done about it. So it's it wow. starts, it has to start somewhere and it can start with our children because many adults are set in their ways. They don't, they're not going to change. But if we have, like you said, more training on diversity, um, sensitivities to different cultures, like all these things can be taught 
early on so that they're not growing up thinking, oh, because Susie looks different than me, she's better than me, or her hair is a different texture. So I want that hair. Like there's so many things that that play into this whole racial, these racial wars and this you know subconscious level of racism. But I feel like, you know, each person can make, they can do something. It doesn't have to be a major change. It can just be deciding that, you know what, I'm going to take the time to, to teach my children that everyone is a human being, regardless of what they look like, and just show more love to one another as humankind, you know, humankind in general. And just knowing that we're all here to live on this planet together. And just because we look differently doesn't mean that we can't still be one, you know, united. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I look at, you know, a lot of people use the word tolerance and I just feel like we have to move beyond tolerance. We need to move towards acceptance and even celebration of all of our differences and take an interest in different cultures and take an interest in the ways different families work and the ways different systems work and, um, you know, everything like simple things from the way people dress or their hair, like you mentioned, like all of that stuff. It's like, if we can like move to that space of celebration and that's mm-hmm. where I really hope that we can get to. And I know that, I know that you mentioned that with your sons, you had a conversation with them mm-hmm. and you hadn't really had a conversation with them about that before. And I'm curious about that. Cause I feel like there's been a lot of different things that have gone around on social media, a lot of different articles, even a lot of different memes and stuff that have come up of like, when, you know, um, black moms have to have a conversation with their black sons and tell them the following things and, um, you know, and telling them things like, don't play your music too loud in the car. Or if an officer pulls you over, put, put your hands where they can, you know, like all of these things that I feel like as a white mom, I have two girls, but even if I didn't, it's like, I, I wouldn't probably have to have those conversations. If, right. You know, if I had a son that was white, and I'm curious about that. Have you found that that you do in in the black in black communities have to have those conversations? And Absolutely. God. It's it's like it's like it's almost um it's almost like telling your kids, oh, okay, don't talk to strangers. It's in you know the basic some of the basic principles and lessons that we have to teach them now are revolved around your safety and protecting yourself from the people who you once were told are supposed to protect you, but at the same time letting them know that all police officers are not bad. Like it's not every single one, everyone's not out to get you there. Every, you know, there's some officers who are just making a bad name for, you know, the entire community, just like there are some black people who make a bad name for the entire community. It's never all, you know, it's always enough to make a stereotype and then pass judgment, but it's never, you know, a total sum. Yeah. So I, I find myself, talking to my kids about that. And actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, Amy, I did have this conversation with my oldest son a couple of years ago when he started driving because he has uh, dreadlocks in his hair. Mm. And he was pulled over for, for racial profiling because he happened to be driving at night. It was like 11 or something. He was coming home from a movie and the cops pulled him over. And luckily we had talked previously, or maybe he just knew from like what was happening, but he knew to pull into Wawa where there were other cars and it was well lit so that he wasn't abandoned on the highway and, you know, could possibly be, um, whatever. I don't know what would have happened, but I just, just have, that's one of the things that I have to teach them. If you get pulled over, try to go into a place where there, you see other people and it's well lit, like, you know, or if you feel threatened, drive to the police station, you know, let them know you're, 
on the way or something like that. Like, right. yes, this has become part of the things that we now have to teach our sons because if not, we're putting them at risk by not educating them and letting them know this is how you have to conduct yourself when you get pulled over. Like you said, make sure both hands are on the steering wheel. Right. Do not reach for anything unless you're told or you tell, you know, whatever the case is. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely changing the way we have to parent and it's just adding another layer to the things that we have to do to try to keep our children safe and to prepare them to be successful in this society. Not, you know, not that it wasn't already hard enough right. being a black man, you know, trying right. to, trying to, trying to, I don't want to say match up, but be, um, competent enough to succeed in a white corporate society. Yeah. So now we have the added layer of their safety and well-being, which makes it really challenging. Yeah. Do you have a sense of that, that, um, almost that dance between, um, wanting like, and I, and I look at this with my almost nine-year-old now, we've had some discussions, um, and she's at a very diverse school. Um, but it's like, there's, uh, there's that line between wanting to not perpetuate the story and wanting to like break through the story while also acknowledging the truth of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, um, dance between those two things so that, right. Because I, and I can hear like the way that you've really done that with your sons of, Hey, these are some of the things that you need to be aware of. And let me remind you that most cops are great, are, are good. Not all cops are bad. This is not that situation. It's like having to constantly do that balance between, you know, stating what could happen, trying to keep your child safe, and then also trying to create a new story and a new future for our children. Right. Because I don't want them to get all pessimistic and worried. My 16-year-old yeah. son, his response the other day when we started talking about this, well, I told you, he said he, there's nothing he can do. Right. And I felt sad for him because I'm like, no, there's always something you can do. Even when it looks like, you know, you're, you're fighting against the machine or whatever it is, your opposition seems so much bigger and stronger than you. There's always something you can do. And so I just don't want them to adapt that. Not that they don't care attitude, but like, you know, the giving up attitude yeah. and just accepting that this is the way they have to live their lives. Because I believe that this is not the way. And this is part of the pain or the purpose behind the pain is that wow. it's time to change. And so we just have to, I feel like we need to keep encouraging our black men, even the older ones, not just the children, the, yeah. the grown men too, who feel threatened. Like they literally feel like there's a target on their back. And I told my son the other day, I'm like, you need to care about this because you are almost an endangered species. If, if things continue the way they are, then soon you will be an endangered species. If this continues and there's no punishment, no, no consequence, and it just becomes a wild, wild west where everyone's shooting up everyone, you know? Yeah. So yes, it's, it's a constant balance. And I, but I also try to maintain some, um, you know, some semblance of positivity, hope and encouragement that it doesn't necessarily, just because it's like this now doesn't mean it's going to get worse per se before it gets better or that it won't, you know, that things can't change. And I think what you said is so, so much of what you're saying is so powerful. And I think that like the lack of consequences, it's like, okay, so if there's some cops out there that are maybe overtly racist or um, have, you know, just haven't had the proper training, what have you, they need to be held accountable 
Mm -hmm. That's the thing that is just so, just takes it to a whole other level is when these things are caught on videotape, like you said, like there's no denying. And then somehow the police officer who is the one that did the shooting somehow finds a way to deny it. And then they don't get held accountable for it. Right. And it blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And then we feel like, oh, but if it were reversed, if it were a black cop who shot a white man, there would be no question. It'd be like, is there even a trial? Because we feel like he would be convicted before he even got to the court. You know, so it's like the double standard that exists. It's like, you know, so that's the thing that really burns me up is like, okay, so everyone, first of all, the first person needs to be held accountable, but it needs to be the same standards for everyone. Like if one person is going to get, you know, jail or whatever, conviction, whatever they get, should be the same for everyone. That's right. Same, the same as like you said, everyone, these cops need to be retrained and taught how to deal with black men. Some, I was having a conversation the other day with someone and they were saying that a lot of times the cops are, they're young, they're, they, they're afraid, like they're intimidated by black men because black men do, you know, they can be intimidating, especially, you know, if they're more like from the, the inner cities and whatever out, you know, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't really know exactly. I don't want to be stereotypical, but I do know that they could feel intimidated. And so maybe their, their threat, they feel threatened. So their first instinct is to shoot, to kill. Right. But if, but if they had more training and maybe more interaction with these types of people or these men who, you know, these, this area that they're in, maybe their first instinct wouldn't be to kill them. Maybe it would be somehow to de-escalate the situation, whatever, call for backup, whatever they have to do. Some other, some, there has to be something else besides just pulling a trigger, shooting somebody four times and then just standing there and watching them die, like Mm -hmm. something else. There has to be a better solution. Yeah, there has to be. And, uh, you know, with the um, Philandro Castile's um, shooting, I mean, you can see the cop's hand just shaking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, 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 like you said, like the fear, the adrenaline, all of that stuff that is going on. And that's where the training comes into play. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at it in the military, it's like, that's where the training comes into play. It's like, okay, you're in this situation. The human brain is going to go into fear, going to go into adrenaline, all of those things. And so the training then can take over. Right. That's what I think points so strongly to that there's a huge issue inside of the training that they're receiving. Exactly. It's, it's, all, it's all institutionalized. And it's like, are they training them to say, oh, well, if you feel threatened by a black man, shoot him first and then ask questions later. Or is it, use your best judgment. I don't know what it is, but there's yeah. something, there's some, something, broken. there's something, something, yeah, definitely <sighs> broken. And I feel like if, you know, maybe, maybe it's not, they're not trained long enough. Maybe they're rushed through the academy and they don't have all these different scenarios. So when they get to, you know, these real life situations they are like, Oh my gosh, like, what do I do? So maybe it's more extended training more. Maybe it's yeah. more diversity training. Maybe it's just a whole bunch of things. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, like, finding a way to to build a community where cops are not just called when it's, you know, there's a problem. Maybe they can be more become more active in the community as right. so that people can see them as someone they can trust versus someone to be afraid of. So for you, when you look at um the white community and as moms and as parents, 
do you, what do you feel like you would love to have, um, me teaching my daughters about this or and other women that have um, children that are white. What is, do you have any specific things, any guidelines or guidance that you can give us to help make the situation better? That's such a great question, Amy. I don't, let me, let me think. So, <laughs> like, it's a great question. And I think I would just teach, I would want you to teach your children that we're human beings just like, they're human beings and just because we look different you know our facial characteristics are different our hair is different our skin is different whatever the case we might have a different dialect we still bleed like they do we still feel like they do and we just want to be treated like everyone else so yeah I think just you know learning to love each other as as human beings that's what I try to teach my kids and that's you know one of the things that, that I was always taught like don't judge a book by its cover right. get to know a person yeah, because there are plenty of black people that I don't like and there are plenty of white people who I love, you know, <laughs> so it's like yes. treat everyone the way you want to be treated. Yeah. And get to know people before you make judgment or decide you don't like them or you want to talk about them because of the way they look or what, you know, what they have or don't have. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I so we're starting to wrap up here, but um I want to, again, just give out Erica's websites, ericagordonlive.com and momswithdreamsuniversity.com and her podcast, Moms with Dreams podcast. Make sure to check all of that out. Um, as we wrap up here, Erica, one of the things that I ask all my guests on the Mama Truth show is what is messy and what is magical about motherhood for you these days? Oh my gosh. Another great question. <laughs> What's messy is that my kids are like in they're teenagers. And so they all have different things going on. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like, Oh my gosh, I can't be in all these places at once. So that's that, that gets messy. And the fact that sometimes we eat dinner later than I would want to, because I'm running around or doing stuff and getting people to football and picking this one up from the friend's house and, so I feel like lately, for a while there, I had it under control. I had a little system, and then now they're all a little bit older, so we're in a new stage. Oh, so, <laughs> so I'm trying to readjust and get like some type of schedule going. But the messy part is just like some days it's just crazy. Like we eat dinner sometimes at nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, sorry guys, you know yeah. this this is the best I can do. <laughs> or sometimes we just have like cereal or something depending on what's going on but um that's the messy part the magical part is the times when I'm feeling like oh I want to quit my business and they're like mom you can't quit you know that you've done so much because sometimes it gets to be too much juggling everything because I still have a full-time job as well yeah so I do all that and then on some days I'm like oh I'm not spending enough time with the kids I feel guilty right but then they're like no we're fine mom we can hang out you know when you're done so those moments when they encourage me it, it feels really good because I feel like okay I am doing a good job and they still they understand that I love them and all this is for them anyway awesome Erica thank you so much for being here on the mama truth show and for being willing to have an honest conversation about race and, um, and all of the recent events that have been going on. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. And as always, mamas, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to be continuing um, next week with another 
discussion on race relations in America. I'm going to be doing um, a few of these shows back to back, just bringing on different moms with different perspectives and some, some people that are experts in all sorts of different things. So stay tuned for that. And thank you so much for tuning in. And with that, it's Amy Ehlers, the Wake Up Call Coach, signing off, reminding you to embrace the messiness and the magic of motherhood. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening, mamas. Did you know that Amy has a new ebook out? It's called Sacred Self-Care for Moms, Seven Steps to Nurturing Yourself So You Can Be the Mom You Were Born to Be. And you can receive your free copy by going to sacredselfcarebook.com. That's sacredselfcarebook.com. And please don't keep the Mama Truth Show a secret. The biggest compliment you can give is to share the Mama Truth Show with your loved ones and write a review on iTunes. Until next time, keep embracing the messiness and the magic of motherhood. <laughs>